What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Young, Healthy, and Wealthy Show. Now, before we go ahead and get started, I want to go ahead and tell you guys about Disrupt Week. Now, Disrupt Week is an amazing, amazing event. It's a week-long, yes, you heard me right, a week-long networking entrepreneurship-based event in San Juan, Puerto Rico. My God, you want to go network with somebody? Go network in paradise. Network in San Juan, Puerto Rico. From October 19th to October 26th, Disrupt and Build Your Empire are hosting this event, Disrupt Week, to help bring 50-plus speakers and 500-plus attendees together to network and make the world a better place. Now, if you want to come to this event and listen from speakers like Anthony Delgado, Chris Delgado, <clears throat> Casey Adams, John Malott, Alex Quinn... Uh, Sam Bakhtiar, Stephen Campolo, the list goes on and on and on and on. If you want to hear from people like this, go ahead and hit me up in my DMs on Instagram at Chase underscore Henderfit. Let's go to Puerto Rico, baby. Let's make it happen. Now, that's it for that. Let's continue on with the show. Welcome to the Young, Healthy, and Wealthy Show, where we speak with elite individuals and top performers and sing what it takes to stay healthy and get wealthy. Are you ready to be elite? Are you ready to be part of the 1%? Well, then without further ado, let's get it. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Young, Healthy, and Wealthy Show. I am your host, Chase Henderfit, and today we have another amazing guest. And I'm, and this one's going to be a really cool episode. I'm really excited about this one because this guy came into college wanting to go down the financial route. He became the top broker at his bank at the age of 25. But then all of a sudden, him and his friend kind of did a 360. And before you knew it, this man is now the CEO of Capriati. He's one of the largest sandwich franchise businesses in the U.S., which is it's amazing. And I cannot wait for you guys to meet him. This is none other than Mr. Ashley Morris. Mr. Morris, how are you doing today, sir? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I was so, you know, when, when Claire reached out to me and said that you were interested in coming on the show, I was... I was, I was very, very humbled. Thank you so much for coming on the show. So for those of you who do not know who Mr. Morris is, Mr. Morris, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are and what really got you to where you are today? Sure. So, um, you know, it all started way back, uh, really because of my love for, for a sandwich, but I'll take you a little farther behind that before I get into that. All right. Um, always been a, a young entrepreneur at heart. Uh, my first business was in uh, elementary school in fifth grade. I'd come up with this friendship bracelet business where I was making friendship bracelets and, and slinging them down the lunch line. And uh, within about two months of selling my bracelets, I had a longer line to my bracelet uh, venture than the lunch line did. And eventually it got shut down and got called into the principal office and, you know, got in trouble for that. And so it started at a young age. I had some other businesses in junior high and high school that were the same thing, little small, just make some money businesses. And, uh, but I had, I had, I had come to the realization sometime around uh, 15, 16, 17 years old that I had wanted to go work on wall street. Okay. And um, you know, so, so being in the financial world seemed to make a lot of sense. I was, uh, I, I, I just loved the idea of learning about money and, and understanding it. And I thought this would be a great opportunity. And I, I was fascinated with the stock market and so I went to school, uh, you know, growing up in Las Vegas, I wound up graduating high school and then going to UNLV and in UNLV continued my, my financial education and got a degree in financial services. Um, and, you know, was planning on moving to New York, but 9-11, 
changed my viewpoint a little bit. And uh, so I graduated in 2002. And obviously that was that was like May of 2002 and, and September of 2001 is, is when nine, you know, it's when 9-11 was here. So right. I, uh, I kind of changed my view on going to New York per se. And so I pursued the career in finance in Las Vegas. But but inside of college, I had found the sandwich shop that I was just in love with. And my best friend, who was my roommate, um, you know, for a very long time, he introduced me to Capriati's. And so when he introduced me to this thing, uh, I was just I just fell in love. It was just literally just changed my life how good the sandwich was. And so I was really just a consumer. And I went on to the finance world um, and, uh, and you know, got a career and, and went to work. And you're right, at 25 years old, I was, uh, I was actually the youngest portfolio manager hired at the time uh, to Wells Fargo. And at 25, I was running about a $100 million portfolio for the bank. So it was a significant portfolio. Uh, it started to make a lot of money, uh, more money than I had anticipated and probably more than a 25-year-old should be making. And, uh, you know, started <laughs> and I lived in Vegas. So uh, you can imagine my my 25, you know, my year, my 25th year of life was, was a big party. And, uh, you know, I started to have a lot of fun. Yeah. Bought, 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 some, bought a fancy car, did all those kind of things and quickly realized, hey, I, I need to kind of dial this back here. And uh, and get serious. So and so I, I you know after I course corrected a little bit I uh, you know had had decided that my buddy and I who you know my best friend who who you know I'd grown up with who we had always said we wanted to be in business together um, you know now I had enough income where I could invest that income into a side business and so we thought this would be a really good time to uh, get into a side business and so we kind of both had this idea where we'd go meet at the library and we'd bring our business ideas. We'd spend a week really thinking about what, what, what we were passionate about and what really drove us and what we could invest in. And we both showed up to the library and we had one idea each and it was both Capriati's. No and so, yeah, it was just completely fortuitous. I mean, I felt like a failure walking in the library. I'm like, I can't believe I've racked my brain for a week and the only thing I'm coming up with is, is the sandwich shop. <laughs> and we get we get into this meeting and you know, he's like he he I think he felt the same and he goes, honestly, you know, in trying to find the passion, this is the sandwich shop I'm really, really passionate about and I think we should we should try to buy one. And so it was really funny that we were just very aligned and if you ever got to know us and worked with us you you'd realize that we're you know we're always generally aligned like this it's it's just one of those things when you've hung out with someone long enough you know you kind of start to think like each other right but uh um you know so so we we quickly were aligned and we said okay let's go and uh, we reached out to the franchisor which you know in a franchise e franchisor relationship you know just for clarification the definition of a franchisee is the person who who licenses the rights and buys a buys the business and runs the business, and the franchisor is the company that owns the brand and licenses the rights. And so we went to the then current franchisor and said we'd like to become franchisees. And in doing so, uh, we convinced them to let us open a restaurant. And at first, they were kind of like, "Eh, what do you guys know? You're 23 and 25." And you know, it was really really hard to overcome all their objections, but. Uh, you know, they quickly learned that I don't go away so easily. I'm a pretty persistent guy. And so after about four to six months of wearing them down, uh, the, the owner said, I'm not getting rid of you, am I? I said, no, you're really not. So you might as well 
just let me buy a restaurant and sure enough they did Wow. And so one once we opened our first store and as we were opening we were told by the franchisor, you know, you're going to you're going to be allowed to have one. The rest of Las Vegas is completely saturated. And so we uh uh didn't like that. We didn't really think one restaurant was the right viewpoint. We thought, you know, let's we were thinking we were going to get big. So I sent an like a fax blast, believe it or not. I sent a fax blast to all of the stores in Las Vegas and I just said, Hey, if you're interested in selling, we're interested in buying. And one came back as a yes, we're interested in selling, and it happened to be the restaurant closest to the store we were building. And so we bought it. And so we kind of went from zero to two stores uh overnight. Wow. And you know, took us yeah, so it was it was it was kinda interesting. And you know, look, we did not know anything about the restaurant business other than the few jobs we both had, you know, in our teenage years, bussing tables and food yeah. running and, you know, doing all the normal things that, you know, kids first time jobs are. But um we we just we dove in head first and uh and you know, figured out the business and over six to eight months of, of learning the business, we actually learned, we really did learn the business well. And, you know, it was really more of a passive business at first, but it started to become very active for us. I found myself spending all of my free time and energy uh, focused on this business and, and, you know, going there and thinking about, uh, you know, labor matrices and food cost analysis and how we can do more marketing and, you know, Jason, my partner, he was focused on how we can get more data inside the restaurants and understand, you know, our guest interactions and, you know, quickly dawned on me um, sometime around a year of owning it that that we really did like this business. And so I went back to the owners and convinced them to let us build another one. And, uh, and they did. <clears throat> and so as we were building that, uh, I realized I had this epiphany where I was, you know, in my my cubicle in my office day to day, you know, racking my brain how to make my clients eight to 10% on their money at Wells Fargo. And, you know, I'm making far more returns in these sandwich shops. And my passion was really thinking about sandwiches and, and this business, more so the business, right? And, and so I quickly realized that I had wanted, I, I really wanted to pivot and make my life in this business. Um, so I went back to the owners and basically tried to put a larger deal together that said, I'd like to buy more restaurants. And, you know, when all those negotiations failed, I kind of gave up. And so it was about six months of going back and forth and back and forth. And we just, you know, I just got, I just got tired of trying because every time I'd bring her an idea, the answer was no. And uh, one day I was sitting on my sister's couch watching a world poker tour event. And at the time back in 06, 07, uh, you know, poker, no limit hold'em was like on every TV channel, every sports channel for a really long time. It was super popular. And so I was really into it. And I was watching it and I, uh, you know, young man win $2 million. And I remember the announcer vividly, Mike Sexton, he, he was the, the TV announcer and he goes, there you have it folks, 22 years old, $2 million, the new prime in poker. And if you're 26, you can't win. You're a dinosaur. And I thought, holy crap, Mike Sexton just said, if you're 26, you're a dinosaur. He, I'm 26. He's calling me a dinosaur. And, and it just dawned on me. I was like, he's right. I'm going to wake up and be 30 and wake up and be 40 and look back and go, I can't believe I didn't execute my dream um, because I let somebody tell me no. And so like, I like jumped off my sister's couch and got on the phone and told the owner of the whole brand. I was like, look, if you're not going to sell me more stores, then I'm just going to buy the whole company. And she said, it's not for sale. And I said, well, will you take a meeting? 
And she said, okay. And so I got back to Vegas, took a meeting with her, sat down and basically said, write any number down on a piece of paper. I don't even care what it is. And, and she wrote it down and I shook her hand. I said, done. And that was it. We were off. And so we, we went out and raised the capital and uh, became the franchisor and the owner of the brand uh, January 1st, 2008, which was the hell of a time to get into a new business. That's for sure. But we did it. <laughs> and then of course the world ended a few months later, but, uh, but that was that, that's, that's the story. And that's, you know, essentially, you know, how I got to where I got, um, it's kind of interesting to talk about it now because it, it doesn't seem like too long ago, but you know, it's already been, it's already been 11 years. Sheesh. That is such a wild story. Cause I know I've heard a lot of stories of, you know, people with entrepreneurship mindsets and they come in, they build their own company and they go off or, you know, they start working for a company, then they take ownership. But it's like having been in a completely different realm and then being a franchisee owner and then becoming the franchisor, that's a path I've never heard of before. And I think that's, that's so cool. It's definitely, Thanks. definitely a different story. And my, uh, my family at the time was not, on my team. I can promise you that. So going through it at the time, you can imagine it was not, it was met with a lot of people trying to pull me back and tell me that I'm making some kind of terrible mistake, but right. You know, they, they, they've all embraced it at this point. Oh, absolutely. It's crazy how when you first start doing something, everybody's trying to drag you down. But then when you start making some progress, they're like, Oh, wait, wait. uh, you know, I was always supporting you though. Like you're doing great. Keep going. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, look, it's fear and love, right? You know, the people who, who love you fear the most for you. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not easy to get a, to get a great job and, and be successful at it. And then to immediately want to leave it, I think caused a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of scarcity and a lot of people and important people in my life, but still got to do it. Got to oh, follow absolutely. your heart. That's for sure. I love that. Follow your heart. And one of those things that you did when you were following your heart and going to this business is that you, you said while you were telling your stories that you didn't know anything about the restaurant business, yet you still went for it. I mean, what was that experience like to be sitting there going, okay, you know, we're the franchisee owner, but we don't know what we're doing. Can you walk us right. through what that experience was like? Yeah, I look, I, I've, I've thought about that a lot over my life and been interviewed quite a few times and, you know, been asked that same question. And I'll tell you, you know, it really comes down to a couple of things. But the most important thing is I've always had, you know, since since I can remember since early, early in my life, I've had this uh, confidence that I have that if somebody else in the world can do it, then so can I, right? Like I'm no different than anybody else. And, and I've never really been afraid to learn. I actually enjoy learning. And so, you know, the willingness to learn and the confidence to know that if someone else can do it, so can you, you know, is really a, a core fundamental belief of mine. And, and, and it is the same with my, you know, my best buddy, Jason, who's my partner. And so in getting into this, we kind of looked at each other and went, okay, we don't know anything about this business. Um, well, let's go learn. And, and instead of really being scared that we didn't know anything about the business, it really was like fuel to say, hey, we're really excited that we get to learn something new. And again, since other people have been able to do this, then there's no reason why we couldn't. And so, you know, we went out and basically, you know, back then it was easier to get books at Barnes and Nobles. We literally went to Barnes and Nobles and bought every book they had on franchising right. and just started plowing through them. 
and reading it and just, you know, getting into the knowledge base as much as possible. We've started to join organizations in franchising. Uh, this, the biggest and largest one is called the IFA or the International Franchise Association. And they had just so happened to be having a meeting uh, in Florida for for their annual conference. And so we jumped on a plane and went there and we were just little sponges, you know, soaking up every piece of information we could get. Uh, meeting people, uh, trying to create a network inside of the industry, uh, you know, leaning on on certain people that we would meet there and vendors that we would talk to, and you know, was really we didn't have this like super strong solid business plan that we were executing. Plus, you, you know, anything we had written down uh, immediately went in the trash four months later when when there was a banking meltdown and a, you know, capital markets freeze and then on, then on to, you know, a giant recession, we, we, you know, anything you could have planned for before that all just kind of went out the window. And so it gave us an opportunity to just really, really just learn and just get in. And I remember working a tremendous amount of hours. I mean, we'd, we'd get to work at, you know, 7 a.m. Fortunately, didn't have any kids, wasn't married at the time. And we, you know, sometimes I'd leave work at midnight, turn around and go get four hours of sleep and come back and work hard and come back to work and do it again. And it was just getting into that knowledge base. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of employees. It was really just us two and three others. And so we were wearing tons of hats, which was a good thing for us because we were really learning all the facets of the business. Um, and so, you know, I think that, I think that it's one of those things where, you know, that whole, you know, that, that, that old analogy of 10,000 hours makes you an expert. Uh, in something, it really does hold true. And I think the way you get that expertise is to just go and do it. And and if you have a knowledge gap, then, you know, the, the knowledge is out there. I mean, you can become an expert, a subject matter expert in anything, uh, thanks to the internet, thanks to places like Khan Academy, you know, there's all kinds of free information out there. And, you know, you can read books and, and learn a tremendous amount or get involved in organizations and learn a tremendous amount. And so, you know, we kind of did all of it to try to you know, just suck up as much knowledge as we could. And, you know, after about 12, 13 months of doing it, it, it started to roll, you know, the flywheel started to move and, and, you know, then it just became, uh, you know, just keep learning and keep learning and experimenting and trying things and failing a lot um, and making hires and, 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 you know, using other people's uh, knowledge and, and experience to help you grow your vision. And, and that's what we did. That's amazing. There were so many amazing gold nuggets in there. I know one thing is, you know, just going and getting that knowledge. So many people, they get this analysis or paralysis by analysis because they think that they need to know this, this, and this. Well, go learn it or go do it. Just dive in head first. Go, like, I love how you said you guys went to Barnes & Noble, bought every single book, ate it up. I mean, I, I know I've got like a member card. I go there all the time. I'm reading books every single day because the knowledge is out there. You just have to go find it. And then another thing was yeah. one of those organizations, like, one of the things within, I know the book, Think and Grow Rich, is masterminds or just getting around people who know more than you do so you can go learn. Absolutely. That's, that's like my favorite book on the planet. I've read it a dozen times and uh, try to continue to read it every like five years because that to me is, is you know, that, that's, that's, that's it. I mean, he's, he, he is, uh, Napoleon Hill really encapsulated in that book how you do anything and how you do everything, right? I mean, you, you don't worry about the how. You just worry about the what. Just get clear on your vision. Just get totally clear on what it is you want and, and get really good at, at 
defining that and and once you are really good at defining what you want the how works itself out you know you you can persevere through anything and and yeah for sure mentors and people who you can get around who have the knowledge is critically important um you know for sure but yeah i mean if you just get clear about the what the the how will always work itself out Right. Absolutely. You just kind of have to trust the process almost in a way. You, once you have that clear vision, just kind of go with the flow, see what happens. You know, because maybe, maybe one day you find out the how to getting your ideal life wasn't to go down this specific path, but to go down a different path. Okay, we'll trust that process and keep going. It's all about you, mm-hmm. you just got to have faith in the process as long as you have a very clear vision of where you're going. And one of those things is, you know, you mentioned that you got into owning the business really around 2008. How was that experience like, you know, going in and just knowing that you don't have to worry about the how, it's more so just the what, but going through a time like that and building up a business, what was that like? Yeah, well, I mean, it was both, it, at the time, it was it was much more difficult and it was really, you know, kind of a bummer because we had these grandiose plans and of course that was out. But, you know, on the flip side of that coin and reflection, it really was for us a blessing in disguise because what it did was it kind of forced us to to kind of move a lot slower than we had originally wanted to, to move. And by doing that, it allowed us to really focus on building the infrastructure and the foundation of the company such that when it was time to grow, we were able to grow without um, – you know, growing too fast or creating huge missteps or, or, you know, creating instances that could have had drastic or dire effects or lawsuits or things of that sort. And so, you know, look, there's, there's, there's something to be said for perseverance and there's also something to be said for naivety. And, you know, at 27 years old and 25 years old, we were both very driven, but also incredibly naive. And so, you know, you, you, you have these plans and, you know, the external forces of the economy and, and, you know, all these, these macro forces hit you and it forces you to course correct. And so, you know, for us, it was like, man, I can't believe this is happening to us at the time. But, but every time we, we would think that we'd go, it's okay. There's, this is an opportunity for us to get better here, or this is an opportunity for us to do this, or, you know, maybe it's better. We don't grow now. And we, we, we fix our technology platform and we improve this platform and we really get the resources behind this platform. And so, you know, I do think it just forced us to change our course um, than what we had originally contemplated. But it, it, you know, looking back, I think it actually was a, a positive thing because the course we, you know, are on is, is a very strong, stable and, and high growth course. So it kind of all worked out. That's amazing. I, I love the fact that you're sitting here talking about the experience like it was super positive. And, you know, to you, it, it, it was. I love that. I mean, it, it's, it's all about, it's all perception. Because, you know, the, the economy hit really hard. It affected tons and tons of people. I'm sure it hit you guys pretty hard, too, in the beginning. But you guys are like, you know what? We're going to take this as a chance to, you know, like you said, course correct, find the holes within the business, fix those. And then once the economy gets better, uh, it's, it's just going to take off from there. And it seems like it's done really yeah. well. I mean, you guys started when you first came in, uh, what was it, 36 locations? And you built it up to 100 plus? Yeah, we're over 100 now. And we have um, almost 200 in the pipeline for development, meaning people have signed contracts and paid their money. And so we just are in the process of building those restaurants. 
So we're we're definitely at the point now where the company's starting to hit its J curve, and we'll start to, uh, you know, start to permeate America pretty aggressively now. I love it. I'm gonna be looking for those Capriotis down here in Florida. We don't have one in Tallahassee just yet, so we're gonna be looking for. No, one. <laughs> not yet, but soon. I can I can assure you, we'll be in Florida at some point soon. That's for sure. I love it. I love it. So another thing I want to bring up throughout all of this is that it was you and your best friend that went into business together. Now, a lot of what I've seen within just the entrepreneurship community and just stuff you might see on online is that a lot of times people say, don't go into business with friends or family, but you went into business with your best friend. What was that experience like? And how, how do you ensure that you set yourself up for success so that, you know, there isn't really any negative outcome when it comes to working with your best friend? Sure. Uh, believe me, we had plenty of people in our lives tell us not to do this. Um, and we knew the risks going in, but here's the thing. I think that, you know, people are your best friend for a reason. And, and generally that means your values tend to align. Um, you know, usually best friends are similar in their value systems. Um, and in our particular case, you know, we both came with a very different set of skills. Um, we even, you know, promised ourselves, we took the, we took the Myers-Briggs and, and figured out who we really were, you know, what our personality types were and learned, uh, you know, who we were. But before we got into this business, you know, we kind of sat down and had this real long heart to heart and, and knew that, you know, we had all these people in our lives telling us, be careful because you'll wind up, you know, not being friends anymore and it'll all end, you know, toxically. And what we quickly decided was that, number one, the fact that we both were bringing a completely different set of skills to the table, that, that you know, this would be a one plus one equals three environment versus a one plus one equals two or less. And so that really gave us some confidence that, you know, we could, we could work together. But beyond that, you know, the think, I think what we did so well was we created an exit plan and we created a hierarchy prior to getting in business together. So basically what I mean is we sat each other down again. We went through the machinations and we said, look, what if this doesn't work out? Who goes? What happens? Uh, how, do we, how do we break? And we came up with a very clean, friendly breakup strategy that we both were mutu in mutual agreement. And I don't mean mutual. I mean like violent agreement. Like we both. 100% believed in our exit strategy. That was number one. Number two, we both came to the conclusion that at the time I would be the president and CEO because I was the extrovert and the face of the company and I had the, the strategic formulation acumen and finance background. So I would be president and CEO as well as chief financial officer. And he came with a different set of skills and he would run operations, marketing and, and IT. And so at that point, we said, look, if we can ever, we can't ever agree to disagree, or we can't ever agree, then I would have the final say, and he would just roll with it. And so um, once we came up with that scenario, I kind of said, you know, hey, before we do this, you know, really go home and think about that go home and think about a scenario where you could feel so strongly about something and, and I could overrule you despite being completely and utterly wrong and, and make sure you're going to be okay with that. Right. 
and and you know we kind of got back together a few days later and he's like you know what if you're dumb enough to make your own decision then you're going to be so wrong then ultimately you're going to learn the hard way and i'm cool with it <laughs> it was one of those like you know i don't think you're that dumb and if i'm sitting up here standing on my desk jumping up and down saying hey this is an important thing and you should do it my way and if you're dumb enough to not do it my way then you know you'll you'll get the consequences and 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 i'll tell you but but you know, we're, we're both, again, from a value perspective, we're both, you know, very aligned. Like we're not hugely egotistical people. Um, we don't need to be right. We just want to win. And we're both winners in that regard. And so, you know, I, I, we have been places, we have been down the road where we're sitting there trying to solve for something. And he's saying one thing and I'm saying another thing. And, and literally we're, we're, we can't get in alignment. And usually if we can't get an alignment, what that really means is it's probably the wrong decision. And we both haven't, we both don't have it figured out. And so that's when, you know, we've gone outside of our sphere and, and brought other people in who, who can help us get to alignment. And, you know, we've always made decisions where we're aligned and there, there's a lot of wrong ones. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's, there's tremendous failures that we've had throughout from failed locations to failed marketing to lots and lots of, you know, people who didn't work out for the brand. I mean, there, there's, 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 there's miles of them, but we were aligned in going down that road together. And so maintaining that alignment and, you know, having that commitment, like, Hey, if I can't convince my best friend, this is the right thing. And he can't convince me, then we're both going to need convincing on what the right thing to do. Is. And, and so we're never really, I've never really used that power. And, and, you know, it's, it served me well to have not used that power. Uh, today, you know, we have a pretty substantial board of directors and, you know, even though he and I control the company and can make day-to-day -day decisions and don't need their vote to, to decide, we still don't leave a board meeting without complete alignment. Um, because again, if we can't convince our mentors it's the right thing to do, then, then maybe we ought to listen and maybe we ought to, you know, find a solution that is convincing to everybody. And so that's just kind of how that's our philosophy and it's held up really well. I mean, I can only think of one time we were, you know, I don't want to say even like we were out, we were at odds with each other, but I think there was, there was like one time where we were, where our voices were getting loud <laughs> and then eventually we kind of went, all right, all right, all right, calm down. Let's figure this out. <laughs> so, so it's, it's been a wonderful thing for us. And, you know, I'll tell you, if you can break through that and you can, and you can gain that calibration, uh, working with your best friend is kind of the coolest thing on earth. Because, you know, think about a world where you get to just hang out with your best friend all the time and do That's great awesome. things together and share, you know, share in these wonderful experiences when they're positive and have someone to lean on when, you know, the failures come. It's, it's, it, you can be completely vulnerable and completely honest with somebody at your, at your job. And, and I, you know, I would find it hard to believe that many people have that in their work environment, that they have someone they can be just completely honest, completely truthful, completely vulnerable with that isn't going to judge them. That's going to just be on their team. And, and having that is a real blessing. Right. That is amazing. Honestly, cause sitting here thinking about it, that would be a very, a very, if uh, I want to say fun scenario, I know it's business, but you know, it would be a very fun scenario to be able to be there with somebody that, it's been with you from the beginning and you're able to continue building together. And then what I really love about your story too, is that how, how realistic you two were in the beginning. Cause I know I've seen a lot of people come into business together and then they end up breaking apart or, you know, I've seen stories of people coming together and breaking apart. And I feel a lot of that comes down to that naivety and not really seeing or not really taking that time to make an exit plan. 
to make a breakout plan to see like, well, okay, if this were to happen, what would actually happen? And coming to a firm agreement about that. I think that was a genius part on both of you, on both of your parts so that you knew, you, you knew exactly what you were getting into when you got into the business. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely helpful. No doubt about it. Absolutely. And so going into the franchising model a little bit, because this is something that's actually really piqued my interest as of late. You know, you two went into, uh, you started as franchisees, became the franchisors. What's, what's the huge benefit of doing a franchising model? Because I've seen it. It was never really something that was on my radar. It was kind of like, oh, it's whatever. But now coming into contact with more people who are franchisee owners of a gym or Maybe it's, you know, like with you guys, a restaurant, fast casual chain, uh, you know, what, what's the benefit behind that model? And what do you guys like about that so much? Oh my God. Well, this, this, uh, <clears throat> interview is going to get really, really, really long if I expound all that information on you, because I can talk <laughs> for hours on this stuff. But I mean, look, if, if you're an entrepreneur, right. Or you have an entrepreneurial mindset, if, if your passion inside of you is, is, is accomplishing your dreams versus building someone else's dream, um, then, then, you know, it's, it's a scary world and, and entrepreneurship, albeit there's tremendous rewards, it's really difficult because there, there really isn't any place I have found that does a fantastic job teaching you. Uh, what you need to know to be successful in the entrepreneurial world. I mean, there are there are books that can teach you facets of business, right? There are books on finance and how to become, you know, sophisticated, you know, financial minds. And there are books that can teach you how to run things and and you know every facet. But but being an entrepreneur means means having to do every single piece and every single facet of the business and and learn it all and and in a lot of times create it. And so people who have these great ideas um, and they, and they want to get off the ground and go, you know, they say most businesses fail, right? I mean, I don't know the stat, but like 90 plus percent of businesses fail. Right. And so when you have a failure rate, that's substantial, right? It can be a scary place to be if your passion is entrepreneurship. Now, having said that, here is this, you know, sneaky large industry that, that many people, I think, underestimate how big and powerful the franchising industry is, because most people attribute it to the big brand fast foods. Like, what's a franchise? Oh, it's McDonald's and Burger King and Wendy's. Well, yeah, you're right. But, but it's so much more than that. I mean, there are, there are five plus thousand franchised businesses in this country alone in every facet of business. There are you know, law firms that are franchises, there are accounting firms that are franchises, there are gyms, as you described, there's a whole fitness world of franchising. Um, you know, really every discipline that's out there, there are food franchises, there are, there, I mean, literally everything. Um, and, and so there are medicine franchises, there are medical franchises. So the franchising business can be this catalyst to somebody with the passion to want to be their own boss but somebody with either a knowledge gap or an experience gap or, you know, a, a, a gap of, you know, I just, I just don't know what I don't know. And so you, you know, can find the facet of business that you want to be in through franchising and then join on and have this network support center of franchisor who's there to hold your hand all the way through the process to, to teach you what they know. And, you know, generally franchised businesses are not franchised if they're not successful. So 
any business that is franchising has already demonstrated it's successful or can be a success. So you've not only eliminated the risk of failure because it's demonstrated or substantially reduced the risk of failure, you also are, are buying into a system that can teach you all the pieces of the business one by one so that you can become an expert and you have a place to go to rely upon to gather the information. So it's it's very powerful in those two in those two respects. And so then, you know, you sit there and you ask yourself, okay, self, I really have passion to be my own boss. I really want to control things. I really want that freedom so that every, you know, ounce of effort I put forward is directly correlated to, you know, to my gain. Then then now you have an opportunity to be anything that you want. And so you can you can dial into your passion and go, yes, I'm passionate. I want to be my own boss. What am I passionate about? You know, what business, what, what line of business do I love? I love health. I want to be in health. Great. What part of health do you want to be in? You know, I want to be in this part of health. I want to be in fitness. Great. Okay, there's 50 franchises out there. Now now you can find the one that speaks to you and you can actually have the, the, and gain the knowledge to become successful at it and substantially reduce your, your risk of failure. So to me, it's it's like it's like the most important piece of business, frankly. If you know, in in the entrepreneurship world. Besides that, if you're not looking to become just a franchisee, you know, the amount of jobs in franchisors and and in this industry alone is is significant. I mean, if they're one of the largest employers in the country, and so having some franchise knowledge and then being part of a franchise, you know, we have. We have operations people here. We have marketing people. We have finance people. We have technology people. We have, you know, support staff. You know, ad admin assistant people. I mean, we have we have a, a, you know, 45 plus people who work for us in the support center alone in every discipline of business. So it, it's just a huge, huge, you know, piece of the 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 business sector, and I think it really goes uh, under the radar, you know, for most people. And and that's just because there's just a lack of education inside of our system, inside of our school system on this. You know, I have a business degree from UNLV. There isn't one discussion about franchising. Really? In all of the business really? college. I mean, there wasn't back when I went to school. There still isn't. I know that because I actually go and, and with my partner once a, once a semester and we go speak to – uh, one of the business classes out there, and we do this little franchising seminar just as a little give back. But but in the vast majority of colleges, there isn't any class on franchising, and yet it's such a large piece of the business sector. That's incredible! Wow. Yeah. Man, I did not realize how big it was. I mean, even coming into this interview, I knew it was bigger, but that's wild. It's it's massive. It really comes yeah. down to providing so much opportunity within the business space. I mean, there are there are construction companies, there are pool builders. Like, if your dream is I want to be a a pool builder and I want to own a company building pools, there are franchises around that. I mean, it, it, Entrepreneur Magazine every January, they their first issue of the year is the Franchise 500. That's the 500 largest franchisees. You can Google it and just go to like Franchise 500. You can see. I mean, you want to have some fun? Go through that thing and look at all the franchises that are in there, and you'll be shocked. You'll go, holy crap! I didn't even realize. You know, you want to be in retail. A lot of a lot of retail places are franchises. You want to sell clothes. You want to sell furniture. You want to you know open up you know whatever it is. I mean they're all franchises. It's crazy because that's that's a it's a huge growth vehicle for businesses. You know you can either grow 
internally, or you can grow through franchising. And so anything that you see that has multiple locations, uh, you know, most likely is going to be a franchise. Wow. Yeah, actually, you know what you said to look it up. So I'm actually looking up the franchise 500 now. I'm seeing so many companies on here. I had no idea were franchises. Right. I mean, you're, you know, you watch the news, right? And you go to like Fox, Fox or CBS or NBC, all of those, all of those are, they're not franchises, they're affiliates, they're licenses. Somebody bought the license to have the media outlet. I mean, it's, it's, it's just everywhere. Wow. Wow. My mind is blown <laughs> right now. This is crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and, and it's, and it's totally scalable. So like, you can you can learn this business. You can buy one or build one or, or or you know grow into having one unit. And then when you've mastered that, the opportunity to have units two, three, four, five, a hundred, two hundred, five hundred, a thousand, it becomes possible. And so if you're the type of person that says, you know, I really want that financial freedom. I really want the time freedom. I want to work really hard for a decade and then be able to kind of sit back and raise my kids and have this time freedom and you know, go to the beach and hang out or go on vacation and, and, and still make money while I'm sleeping, then, then being a business owner is where you have to be to do that, right? Like you, you can't, right. you can't work for right. somebody and have two weeks off a year and have this, you know, nine to five job and have real freedom. Um, you know, for the most part, you can have partial freedom, but you can't have the real freedom and time freedom as well as financial freedom. And, you know, you want to get even deeper, you know, Google the, the franchise, the top 200 and top 200 largest franchisees. I mean, there are franchisees out there that are doing two, three billion dollars in sales, making hundreds of millions of dollars a year in profit to their business. And that's underneath, a you know, a corporate umbrella. I mean, I think the, the, the smallest guy in a franchise 200 is probably doing 35 to 40 million a year in sales and wow. is probably making, you know, four to eight million dollars in profit. So, you know, it's, it's, it's how you can get to really, really big money and how you can, how you, you know, you don't have to be Mark Zuckerberg. You don't have to be this brilliant Harvard, you know, person who, who invents something that's such a unicorn that seems impossible to invent, right? And then it actually succeeds. You don't need to do that to become insanely wealthy. You can, you can, you know, join forces with a brand that you are passionate about and, and build and grow an empire internally and, and still become insanely wealthy inside of an industry that, uh, you know, is, is very, very, uh, you know, put together and, and provides an opportunity for, for minimization of risk. Wow. Wow. I'm just, I'm still blown away by this whole industry. This is crazy. So if somebody really wanted to, you know, they hear this and they were like, okay, I want to get into franchising. I want to, I want to be a franchisee of, of a business. What are those first steps to really get into this game and to become successful in the long run? I think the first step is, you know, to really understand and learn about the industry. So first thing I would do is, you know, go to the library or go to Barnes and Nobles or go to Amazon or wherever and buy a couple of books on franchising. I mean, there's even a book called Franchising for Dummies. You remember that whole series of books where it was like, whatever for dummies, like lawn care for dummies, poker for yeah, dummies. Everything. There's one called Franchising for Dummies, right? I mean, you can get you can get one or two books on on franchising, what it is, what to look for, uh, you know, how they work, how they function, and really, 
you know, I think step one is to is to just learn and, and get yourself into the knowledge base, which is very easy to do. You know, a couple of weeks of reading a book and you'll have it mastered. I mean, if you if you want to sit down and read, you know, for a couple hours a day, you probably knock out two books in a week. That'll start you off. And then from there, I think what you do is, again, you 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 go through like, you know, you, you, you have to perform some exercises on yourself and get a little introspective and go, what am I really passionate about? What kind of business would I see myself in? Because you don't want to just chase the, the money um, because it's, it's difficult, right? You like, it, it can become a grind. You want to chase a passion project. You want to find something that wakes you up because it's not going to always be easy. You're not going to just open up and it's just going to be like autopilot. I mean, you're still going to have to work day in and day out really, really, really hard as if, you know, you were working at any job that you were trying to get ahead at. And so if you're going to put forth all that energy and effort, you should love it. You should love what you're doing. And so, you you know, you kind of go through, you know, those passion project experiments where you sit down and, you know, maybe take a notepad and just, you know, go to a Starbucks and grab a drink and just sit there and just write down all the things that make you happy and, and all the businesses that you gravitate towards and the things that, that put a smile on your face that you could see yourself doing day in and day out. And eventually, you know, make that list and start to dichotomize that list and, and really try to figure out what I want to what I want to work in, what industry I want to work in. And then from there, you, like I said, franchise 500 is the easiest way to do it, but you just start Googling. You just start Googling franchise. I mean, if you put in fitness franchise into Google, I bet you'll find a hundred of them. If you put in restaurant franchise to Google, I bet you'll find a hundred of them. And you know, you start, you start just going through and you start learning. And eventually I think that just making that commitment to go through that process with yourself and spending the time eventually once you have a little bit of knowledge you have a little bit of understanding about what you're what you're in love with and what you want the answer will soon kind of pop itself out at you you'll be going down and you'll have an aha moment and that aha moment will hit you when you when you start to get information about a brand and you go wait a minute i i get it i like this brand this is the industry i want the economics seem to make a lot of sense uh yeah i could see myself doing it and boom aha oh man this is the one and then from there, you got to pursue it. Boom. I love it. So when it comes yeah. to choosing those industries, you know, the one that you, you went into was the sandwich industry. So what is it about the sandwich industry that really pulled you in? Because I know you were a consumer of Capriati's, but, you know, like you said, you need to do your homework and make sure that that industry is the one for you and that you like the brand and what they stand for. What is it about the sandwich concept in the fast casual industry that really pulled you in? I mean, for me, it was just, it wasn't even about the sandwich industry. It was about the product. Uh, you know, Capriati's serves such a unique sandwich. I mean, it's it's not as unique. I, I say that like everything on the menu is going to be like crazy unique. It, right. the, the primary selling item we have is a cheesesteak. All right. But, okay. but you can get a cheesesteak anywhere, right? You can get a cheesesteak in any state. You can get a cheesesteak in a hundred places. The world doesn't need another cheesesteak place. But Capriati's is such a significantly better product that when I ate it, and I was a cheesesteak lover. I mean, I had cheesesteaks in Philly. I had cheesesteaks in, you know, all over the place. I'd gravitate towards it. And I tried this cheesesteak, and I just went, man, this is single-handedly the greatest tasting cheesesteak I've ever eaten. And so for me, wow. that's what created the passion. And then as I learned about the company, I started to see that the company's values really were aligned with my values, meaning, you know, they 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 invented these sandwiches because you can get processed preserved meat anywhere 
but Lois, the founder of this company, was ahead of her time in the in the you know in the mid 70s. She said, "I'm done with all that processed, preserved crap. I want to serve real food." And so the turkey sandwiches that she serves is like whole Thanksgiving butterball turkeys that have one ingredient: turkey. <laughs> there isn't like a laundry list of ingredients with all the things you can't pronounce and xanthan gum and bicarbonate, blah blah blah. I mean, it doesn't have any of that shit. It's just right. turkey. And so, and so at the end of the day, she did that with her meatballs and she did that with her beef and she did that with all the food that she serves in her restaurant. She homemade her stuffings and she homemade her coleslaws from real ingredients. And, you know, the, the, the beef recipe, you know, the whole ingredient list on, on the, the cheesesteak and the beef is like USDA choice beef. That's it. And so when I saw that, I, uh, I, I totally gravitated towards it because it made me feel like I was being true to what I thought, which was, you know, growing up, growing up in a household where like, you know, everything has high fructose corn syrup or this or that, you know, all the things, the non-natural stuff, like my mom and dad didn't really know any better. Um, but, but, you know, as you start to like, you know, learn a little bit and you want to get healthy, you, you know, you realize that, that the way to do that is, is avoidance of a lot of this stuff and, and trying to eat, you know, real foods that, 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 you know, are, 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 that have real nourishment. So when then, as I started to learn about cabernets, I'm like, oh my God, they are doing that. And the food tastes better, right? And the food, the food is better. And so that's what got me. It wasn't that it was in sandwiches. If I had fallen in love with a salad place, it would have been because I fell in love with the quality of the food and, 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 and the values of the company. So it, it was a little different in my, you know, in my case, but, but nevertheless, you know, we, uh, we, we just believed we had a better product than what was being out there. We had a reason. This company had a reason for existing. And, and when you see that the company has a competitive advantage or a reason for existing, I think it's easier for a person to buy in. It's easier for somebody to say, okay, I get it. I see why this can grow. I see why there's, there's, a, there's a demand for this kind of product because there are people out there who crave real food. There are people out there who crave super high quality. There are people who crave incredible taste and, and are willing to drive by, you know, the other sub shops, you know, in exchange for convenience to get this product that they can fall in love with. And that's where Capriati's, you know, kind of holds its niche. And that made a lot of sense to me. I love that answer. I love that answer. Cause I know just the sandwich industry is huge and uh, it must be an amazing business model, but it really comes down to, you know, the, the people that you serve, but also the product that you serve because if the product isn't good, nobody's going to buy it. So it comes right. down to, you have to make sure your product is top notch so that people are willing to buy it. And you have to have a good, you know, I love the story behind it too. You know, she was very into making sure that everything was just the one, the one ingredient label. I love that, especially being in the fitness and health realm. I love hearing people who, you know, they, they pride on their products being one ingredient. That's the best. Cause that's honestly the best way to get healthy. It's just doing those one ingredients here and there. That's it. Yeah. Very simple. I agree. Absolutely. So when it comes to jumping into your passions and going into the Capri and going into Capriati's, what would be the advice that you would give other millennials and other people wanting to leave the corporate world in order to pursue their passions as well? Yeah. I mean, again, we've touched on a bunch of them, but you know, I think that, I think that it really, really comes down 
to, you know, life is not a destination. It really is the journey, right? And and the destination is kind of the carrot that's hanging in front of you that wakes you up every day and you kind of try to get there as fast and as, as quickly as you can. But But the journey itself is really what life is about. And so if you're miserable or you're not head over heels in love with it, then you really have to ask yourself, like, how cool is this journey going to be, you know? And, and so, and so in thinking about that, if I'm, you know, going back to the start and from someone who did it, you know, someone who was in an, uh, an easy, successful career, I was making, you know, really, really, really good money, substantial six figures, uh, could have, you know, had this incredible financially, you know, sound life. And, and I pivoted it away relatively quickly because I just felt that my heart wasn't in it. And, and that is, is critical. And I know it's scary. You know, when people say, yeah, you know, everyone says, follow your passion, follow your heart. But what if you don't know what your passion is? Right. Right. And, and so if you don't know what your passion is, then, then, you know, I say, don't just quit your job. I mean, maintain the status quo and continue to work hard and be a leader in what you're doing and give it a thousand percent. But but per, then but but then learn how to extract your passion out of you. There are exercises you can do. There are there are there are tests and things that that you can that can help you become introspective enough to really figure out what you are passionate about. And it's okay if your passion changes, right? Like decade after decade, you may not have the same passions, um, and and that's okay because you know you're allowed to pivot, especially if you're entrepreneurial. And so you can start somewhere, and if you find yourself in five to seven years no longer being passionate in it, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of avenues for you to pivot as an entrepreneur, especially in franchising. You might start in the accounting world thinking, hey, I'm passionate about accounting, and five years in, your accounting practice is working and is operating well, and you go, you know what, I really liked marketing. I really didn't like accounting. Well, then you sell your business, right? And you go out and become a marketer. Um, but you, 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 you just do it once and you realize when you get on the other side, I guess, is the way I kind of look at it. When you get on the other side of this, of this uh, you know, employee-employer world and you are an employer versus an employee, you realize very quickly it'd be very difficult to go back and become an employee. And so, you know, you, you're kind of changed. It's like, it's like you transform at that point in time. But it's very empowering as well because you realize you have total control of of your outcome. And so just that alone creates extra passion, in my opinion, if that's your personality type. There are plenty of people who say, no, 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 I want to go home and turn it off, right? That That's a give. You're never going to do that. When you own your own business and you're you're – you're the employer. It doesn't ever go off. You can, right. you know, we were ready to go to a trip one time, my wife and I, and we like had our bags packed and we're walking out of the house and, you know, we had, we had a bunch of people quit on us or this manager walked out. I forget exactly. So, but it basically derailed our trip. And we basically were like, okay, well, we can't go. I got to go to work. So, so there's good and bad, right. To every, to every decision. But I think, I think when I hear people say, I don't know what I'm passionate in and I haven't found that passion, Waiting for it to smack you in the face, sitting at home on the couch is the wrong way to do it. You have to be proactive in finding that passion. And there are ways to do that. 
Right. Uh, would you mind possibly highlighting some of those ways? Because I know you said there were some exercises. I know there's a ton, ton of tests you can do, like personality tests to see what kind of person you're like to kind of see what aligns. Uh, what were some things that some things that you did in order to find those passions or things you would recommend yeah, so the, to others? Right. So there's like there's like simple exercises that you can do. Like you know, you draw three circles. I don't know if you've ever heard of this one, where you like have three big circles and you kind of have them intersect. And inside one circle, you kind of write all the things that you're really, really, really good at. You know, because most people are passionate about things they're good at. So you have natural acumen, right? Like I'm great at this. I'm great at this. I'm good at this. I have good interpersonal skills. I'm, you know, I love math. I'm really good at math. I'm really, you know, not what I love, what I'm good at. And then you have, uh, that's your natural, you know, aptitude, your natural talents that just come easy to you. And then you have the other circle, which basically says, what is, what have I learned? What have, what, what skills do I have? So like, you know, if I'm a union plumber, for example, uh, you know, my skill is that I know everything about plumbing. Um, and, and, you know, I know everything probably about welding and soldering and, and all these other, you know, attributes. And you write down all the things you have tremendous skill at. And then the third circle, you kind of go, what do I absolutely love to do? What, what really drives me? Like if I didn't ever have to work, and I never needed money again. What, and money was taken care of, all of my expenses were taken care of, I had enough money to live. What would I be doing with my time? What do I love to do with my time? Oh, I love to travel, I love to do this, I love to do that, I love to you know, wrench on cars, I love to blah, blah, blah. And so you now have a passion circle, you have a skill circle, and you have an acumen circle. And generally, then what you do is you take all of those things and you find which ones intersect with each other. And if you can find the one that intersects with all three, it goes in the middle of all three of those circles. And you might have one or two or three wind up intersecting, in my opinion. You generally will get one or two or three. Those are the things I might consider your real passions because they're things you're good at, they're things you're skilled at, and they're things you like to do that's how you can extract this out. If you don't have a way to organize your thoughts, that would be one way to do it. And it may not work the first time. You may have to do it multiple times. There's another exercise called delegate and elevate. And it's a good way to think about your life is you kind of make four, you kind of, you take a piece of paper and you draw a line down the center of it and you draw a perpendicular line. And so essentially you've got four quadrants. And then the top left quadrant is, hey, what am I really good at and what do I really love doing? And the, below that is, what am I really good at and I hate doing? And the one to the top right is, what am I crappy at? What do I suck at but I love doing? And the one to the bottom right is, what am I bad at and what do I hate doing? Right? And so you can perform this experiment on yourself. And frankly, you know, you live in the top left box very easily. But you can teach yourself not only are the things I'm great at and I love doing up here, you might see the things you love doing that you're bad at. And you might go, hey, I'm really bad at these things, but I love doing them. This might be where my passion is and my passion to get better in some of these things. So there are, again, exercises like that. And again, you know, you just Google some of these things on, on, on how to be introspective or read a book on how to be introspective. There, there are probably plenty of them. And that will really, you know, I think will really, you know, start to get your mind thinking about this stuff. And, and again, you know, what you also put your time into, things happen. Like, you ever, you ever notice, like, when you don't want a car or you don't need a car, 
it, it, you notice less cars, but then all of a sudden, like, hey, I'm thinking I want to buy a new car. And so you kind of go through this exercise, like, what kind of car do I want? And then all of a sudden you go, okay, I want a Nissan Pathfinder. And then boom, you see like 50 of them. Oh, like all of a sudden, like after that, like the next month, you're like, oh my God, there's one. Oh my God, there's one. Oh my God, there's, how did I not <laughs> see these cars before? Right? Well, what happened is, is you opened your mind to being receptive to the information that's out there these exercises do the same. And so if you don't get it on the first time or the second time, just keep performing the exercises. Maybe make yourself a goal. I'm going to do this once a week, right? I'm going to go bring this pencil and paper. I'm going to go to Starbucks. Once a week, I'm going to spend an hour with myself. And I'm just going to keep writing these things and doing these exercises. It may take you six months, but at six months, you're going to start, your brain is going to start to automatically be thinking about this because it knows you want to be thinking about this. And then all of a sudden, you're going to get new ideas, and they're just going to flow. They're just going to come out. And before you know it, bam, you're going to land on something and go, holy crap, aha, I got it. I love it. Man, that, that was some really good advice. I'm, I'm saying I was writing down some of those exercises. And, oh, I'm going to try these exercises out myself. I mean, I'm very passionate within fitness, and I, I feel I found a path within myself. But even then, you know, it's like you said, you can never, you can never keep learning. You can never keep growing. And, you know, who knows? Your passions could change. So. Thank you for that. I, really I, continue, I continue to do this. I continue to do these exercises with myself, not on a weekly basis now, but you know, I generally try to take myself into a quarterly uh, basis. And you know, we call them in our office clarity breaks, um, where we empower all of our all of our employees to take regular clarity breaks and really just go sit with themselves for a period of time and really just just get deep with yourself, you know, just get introspective. You, you, so many amazing things come out and, and you'll know what's happening. Cause again, you'll start to be receptive to, you know, your, your, your Reddit holes or your, you know, your, when you're, you're, you're surfing the web, just, just killing time. All of a sudden you'll start to see yourself start to pivot into a different direction. Um, you know, you'll start to have conversations with people, conversations with people and, and all of a sudden network connections will start to be made on accident. It's amazing how it works. It's just, just got to get your mind in the right frame and it'll, it'll start to really snowball. I love it. I love, do you think doing that practice regularly within your company has really uh, been of a, been of benefit to the pro progression of it? Absolutely. Absolutely. We try to have everybody not do things that they're not good at and they don't want to do. <laughs> we try to have everybody be focused on the things they're great at and what they want to do. And so even our, even our, you know, high level, high level senior leaders, when they do their delegate and elevate, it's like, okay, everything that you're doing that you don't want to do, we need to bring forward as an issue. And we need to find people who can do them. Or we need to delegate them to people who, because what's in your box that you don't want to do and you're not good at is somebody else's. I'm really good at, and I really love to do it. And so, you know, you can take something off somebody's plate where they don't want to do it and they're not passionate about it and put it on someone's plate who's insanely passionate about it, who's really good at it. That's a huge win for your company. Absolutely. Have you ever had anybody go through this exercise and then completely change departments within the company? Um, no, but we're still, you know, again, we're only about 45 people. So, you know, we're not this giant you know, behemoth of a, of an organization. So I, I'm not so sure that, uh, you know, that's applicable here and no, we haven't had it, but I will tell you, we've done some of these exercises and we've had people come and close my door and sit down and be like, listen, I love it here. And I love everything I'm doing, but like, this is not what I want to do. What I really want to do is this. 
and and you know we've had we've had employees come to me and say I really want to be a franchisee. What I'm doing here is is good, but I really just want to be a franchisee. And we've helped them. You know, like when when somebody comes in and closes the door in my office, even though you know I you know I want them to to work and work for me and work with me, I don't want anybody to do anything they don't want to do. And so if you come across and you find your passion uh, through any of these channels, and even if we've helped you get there and your passion is a complete pivot, then then our our feeling is pivot, go, you know, go go find it, go go live your dreams, and and you know we'll find people who want to replace you, right? I mean like that's okay. Um, we don't take those things personally. We actually pride ourselves on on encouraging that kind of thought, and and it's super helpful for us. I mean you know we don't really look over our shoulder with our with our you know employees because we know they all want to be here and when they don't then they won't be you know we empower them to not be i love that that's i, I love the, the the sense of independence almost within the company each individual person playing a, an integral part in the company but also they have their own feeling of you know i'm doing my own thing i'm doing the thing that i love within this company that's awesome Wow. And I and I think you know look I I I just think that that you know people say there's a millennial mentality and some people have told me that I have you know a millennial mentality from time to time being that I'm you know a millennial but honestly I don't I don't believe that to be true you know now that I've been doing this as long as I have and been in the workforce as long as I have this sentiment is shared by a particular type of person you know whether you're a millennial or a baby boomer I think that that you know there are people who come from abundance and people who who understand this passion principle, so to speak. And if they get it, they get it. And if they don't, and you know they have egos and are selfish, it really doesn't matter when you were born. You're gonna have an ego and you're gonna be selfish, right? I mean, so so at the end of the day, I really think that that stigma of of you know the generational gaps and things like that. They really people are much more similar, you know, than than people give other people credit for i mean we have we have it, it, it's it's just amazing i i just i just kind of hate that stigma that like you know millennials are different no they're not you know everybody's the same at the end of the day but personalities are different right right so so you know that just exists so how do you how do you keep that um so being a millennial and you're running this company i assume that you came into it and there was a lot of other people within the company already who were were older than you and had their opinions about millennials themselves how do you maintain that sense of leadership within a company or with around people who still have that kind of mindset towards millennials honestly they'll self-select out if they can't get over themselves you know <laughs> um but but i think it all comes down to again i it comes down to your ability to lead and your ability to lead has to do with with you know your ability to to connect with people um, from a value perspective, to have a very very clear defined vision. You know, be very clear about what you want, and then find the people who want to march in the direction with you. And so, you know, look, I've had plenty of them. You know, I had, I mean, and and. In the beginning, they're like, oh boy, here we go, right? Here comes, you know, I have underwear older than you and you're going to tell me what to do. <laughs> okay, yeah, I am. And you're either, you know, going to believe in me or not. And generally what I find is there's an aptitude to at least play a game of let's see what happens. I mean, I've only had like one person kind of show up, see me and was like, whoa, I don't think, she, she worked for us for about six months. 
and uh, you know she came she came with you know a Northwestern degree, an MBA from Northwestern. She was very smart, very intelligent. She came here and basically looked at Jason and I and went, "You're how old?" And I said, "I'm 29." And she said, "Okay." And when she said it, it was like it was like I kind of got it, like but I didn't really get it at the time. But like what she was really saying was like. Okay, well, I need a job, so I'm taking this one, but I'm out as soon as possible. Like, there's just no universe you're going to teach me anything. Wow. And and she did, and she was there four months, and she was gone. And that's okay, right? Like, I mean, I learned from that. Um, I'm a better interviewer now, uh, but you know, it's it's one of those things that you you can't you can't help that in some people, but it's few and far between. Like I said, I mean, as we started doing things, as people started to see our work ethic, and they started to see what really mattered to us, and as we got in agreement on what is the most important thing and what we want, you know, people go, okay, I believe in what you want. I believe this company should be 500 stores, uh, you know. Um, and and if they believe that and they want to march in the direction with you, I think you can quickly break down that generational gap wall. Um, and, and frankly, I've never had it. I mean, I, I'm a huge proponent of hiring people who are way more tenured and way more skilled than I am. I aim to be the dumbest guy in the room, frankly. And I think at this point, when I look at my senior leadership team, there's no doubt I am by far the dumbest person in the room, which is awesome. <laughs> it means that. we've got great people. Those great people are going to, you know, take the company where it needs to go. Oh, absolutely. Because I mean, at the end of the day, if you're the smartest person in the room, where's the progress? Because you're going to need some. You're never, you're never a student. Yeah, exactly. you're only the teacher and never the student. So you know, there's no, per, there's no personal growth there. When you're the dumbest guy in the room, you, 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 you get to rise to the occasion. You get to learn. You get to grow. And and for me, that's exciting. That's fun. Oh yeah. I'm not ready to be the teacher. Yet. <laughs> I still want to be a student for life. Yeah. Well, for a while. For a while. It'll change. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. For a long while. For a long while. Awesome. Well, Mr. Morris, this has been an absolutely incredible interview. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, really, just for coming on the show. This, this has been, I know you're a very busy man being the CEO of Capriotis, but this has been an amazing interview. Thank you so much for coming on today. My pleasure. Absolutely. So I got, it was fun. I got what was that? I said it was really fun. Ah, likewise, I had a, I had a fantastic time, but I've got one, one last question. I, I like to do this at the end. I've done it a couple of times now. So let's say that you were the one conducting this interview and you were interviewing Ashley Morris. What would you ask? It's a great question. <laughs> what would I ask him? Hmm. Well, I think that, I think that, um, you know, you've asked a lot. I mean, obviously this interview had, has a lot to do with kind of, you know, obviously franchising, but, has a lot to do with just, you know, hearing a story of, you know, a human being who's, who's, you know, telling you about his life's work. Um, I'd probably ask a question about their personal life, maybe in the family realm and just, you know, uh, get to know them a little more outside of the business, of the business realm. So I'd probably ask, you know, do you have a family and do you have any kids and do any lessons you want to teach your kids type of questions. But other than that, I think you pretty much touched on everything that was relevant for the interview. Perfect. Well, having had that question, let's go ahead and ask that question. What's, what's the family life like? What's going on? So I actually have two boys. One's, uh, I have a wonderful wife that I've been with for 17 years, um, but uh, haven't been married 17 years, but I've been with her 17 years and we are celebrating 12 years uh, 
actually, no, take that back, 13 years um, very soon. So I've got oh, two boys, an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. Thank you. An eight-year-old and a six-year-old, and I now have a girl on the way, oh, which wow. is something that I'm not entirely sure was the greatest decision, but I'm sure it's going to work <laughs> out really well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll do just fine. Yeah. And congratulations again. That's, that's awesome. That's yeah, but it was, yeah, thanks. So, so yeah, so, the, and, and that's what I like to do for fun. I like to hang out with them. Um, I like to, you know, I'm, I'm living vicariously through the two boys who are now playing club soccer and playing sports and I'm watching them learn all the lessons that, that, you know, we learned as little kids and, you know, just watching them come into their own personality and it's just super cool. That's amazing. What are some like ways that you teach your, teach your kids life lessons? Cause I know, Coming from, because my father is also an entrepreneur at heart. He's built, sold businesses all over. Um, I found that there's a different, almost like a different way of teaching life lessons within an entrepreneurship family and then just, uh, you know, another nine to five family. What are some things that you've really done that you pride yourself with when it comes to teaching your sons how to live uh, a principled and a, 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 a great life? Right. So, so one of the things I'm really big on is positive affirmation. I think that, you know, it depends on the, the, where the kid is in his life. But, you know, my opinion is between four and eight, you're really, you're really creating a value system and uh, you know, you're really learning kind of the, the, you're, you're coming into your own personality. Right. And I think your values start, you start the programming of these of children starts really at like four years old to eight years old when their conscious really kicks in. And so every night before we go to bed, you know, the kids call it the words, but since the time they were, you know, even before they could, they could respond to me as I just tell them that tomorrow will be a new day and a wonderful, happy day. And, you know, today it's evolved. So that was kind of in the beginning when they were little and it started to evolve into me asking them some questions. And so typically here's, here's how the words go. So I say, tomorrow will be a new day and a wonderful, happy day. And then I say, you know, what are you going to do when you grow up? And they answer, and their answer is dream big. And I say, why would we do that? And their answer is because we can accomplish anything we put our hearts and our minds to. And I say, well, what are we gonna do every single day? And they say, do our best at everything we do. So that is a habit that we go through every single night that I'm in town. And if I'm not in town, my wife asks them the same questions. And if I don't, or I forget, or it's super late, you know, or, you know, I've had a couple of drinks and I'm just wanting to put the kids to bed and get, get to bed, they'll, they'll be like, hey, dad, you forgot the words, like the words, we got to say the words. So, so in a way, I kind of attribute it to like how people would do nightly prayers. Um, but this is like our, our nightly positive affirmation. And so, you know, even with my six-year-olds, you know, it's like, hey, I love you. Tomorrow will be a new day and a wonderful happy day. It's like, yes, it will. And, and, you know, I know they're getting the message. And so at the end of the day, if they, if they just, if they just show up with the belief that, you know, it's going to be positive, if they show up that they can accomplish anything they put their heart and their mind to, and, you know, that, that they have that confidence, again, that confidence is key, then, then I think they will, they'll be able to find their passion, they'll be able to have that confidence that they can do what it is they want to do. Um, and I think that's critically important because, you know, that's hard to find after you're already programmed. Somewhere. Right. That's amazing. That's so funny. Cause my dad did the same thing. <laughs> he did the same, almost, he almost the exact same thing where it was more so, um, actually since it was the day that I was born, like the actual day I was born, 
Um, he, he made his office in my bedroom, like my crib, like the same room. And when I was going to bed, he was always working and he'd always say to me repetitively, you can do anything you set your mind to. You can do anything you set your mind to. You know, it was always something that he told me every single day growing up, even now, like at 22, I'm over here in college and he's telling me the same thing. You can do anything you set your mind to. And he, one, another thing he would always have me do too, which is actually, I attribute it to, I'm, I'm addicted to learning. I, I read a book every day. I make sure to learn, to learn something new every single day. But it really came down to every time he picked me up from school, he would always ask me, okay, uh, what, what did you learn today at school? Oh, I don't know. Well, come on. What did you learn today? Oh, I learned this. Okay. What's another thing you learned today? Like actually having me actively think about what am I learning? How am I growing? And it's so funny to, to, to see that in other families as well, to, to see that the correlation between the two. That's, I think that's amazing what you're doing. I know and it, it's going to work so well because I know it's completely changed the way that I think. And I, um, it's it absolutely changed the, the course of where I'm going. So I love that. Great. Yep. I, I agree. Yeah. So let's say that, you know, your sons and then your, your daughter, you know, they grow a little bit older, it gets to the, you know, 18 plus they're getting to the stage where they are figuring out what life is really like and what they want to do and how, you know, who they, who they're meant to be or, you know, who they decide to be, what would be your best piece of advice to them? Don't ever worry about the how. Just focus on the what. And get very clear. Just get very, very clear on what you want. Define it so well that you tell yourself a thousand times and you believe what it is you want is, is the, is you're, you're just in violent agreement with yourself, right? Like, this is what I want. And if that's what you want and you believe that's what you want, don't worry about anything else. It will all work itself out. Just, just drive towards that what. Just drive towards it. Take one step that turns into two steps, that turns into 10 steps. And before you know it, um, before you know it, uh, you know, you will, you will find yourself accomplishing it. I love it. And it all comes full circle. I love it. <laughs> that is awesome advice. Mr. Morris, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, if anybody wanted to reach out to you, maybe on social media, or they wanted to reach out to Capriati's, how can they go about doing so? Sure. So, uh, well, e e easy. So we obviously have a webpage. Uh, we have all the social media stuff. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, I'm not, I don't use all the channels of social media all that often. Um, I just don't have the time generally to do that, but I do have LinkedIn. So you can find me there and, you know, Capriati's.com, Capriati's on Instagram, Capriati's on Twitter, um, Capriati's on Facebook. Come check out the brand. Um, hopefully we'll, you know, if you were not in your area, we will be there soon enough and definitely come try what AOL is called the greatest sandwich in America. And I couldn't agree more. Perfect. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see them in Tallahassee. I, I need to try those sandwiches. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Mr. Hey, Morris, thank you, you so get much. Off this call, figure out, maybe you'll be the franchisee. Who knows? <laughs> hey, I love the values of the company. If it's, if it's all one ingredient, I'm down. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. Well, Mr. Morris, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Young, Healthy, Wealthy Show. And until next time, stay healthy, get wealthy. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Young, Healthy, Wealthy Show. My name is Chase Henderfit. I am your host. And if you have any questions at all, feel free to DM me on Instagram at Chase underscore Henderfit. And I have one favor to ask. Please just share this episode with one person. 
You never know who it could help impact. And if you share it on your Instagram story, I'll repost it on mine. So until next time, stay healthy, get wealthy.